What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Today I'm coming to you from New York City, where they make the world's greatest salsa. Today my guest is one of my favorite singer, songwriters, artist, gentleman, and I've been a fan of yours for a long time. I just think you're your your premier Americana songwriter of your generation. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Paul Thorne. Thanks for doing this, man. It's a real honor to talk to you today. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate them kind words. I hope I hope I can live up to that someday. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the thing the thing about it is you don't sound like you were born in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Something no. something maybe maybe the maybe the internet's wrong. Well, my dad, well, Wikipedia is is not always right, but my dad uh, pastored when I was a, a baby in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Right. Uh, but we left Kenosha to Mississippi when I was a baby, so I don't have any memory. I've lived almost all my life in Tupelo, Mississippi, which is mostly known for Elvis Presley being born there. So that's where I've right. lived all my life. Yeah. And, you know, who was the host in music for you when you when you first started you know to to, to get into guitars or, or singing or you know was it was it was it the church was it the absolutely absolutely I, I like the way you said it host because it brings to mind this guy his name was john harris and he was a singer and they did bluegrass gospel kind of like the chuck wagon game mm -hmm. and uh and uh every saturday night at the church they would have something called a singing and it was a Pentecostal church and where they had the hand fans, no air condition, the windows open. And it was on a Saturday night. And it wasn't like today where you have to audition to be to sing in church. If you wanted right. to sing, if you wanted to sing, they would let you get up and sing. They would they would call it singing a special. They yeah. and he would pick people. He would say, uh, 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 Sister Jones, would you like to get up and do a special? And she'd go, Oh, I didn't practice, but I'll give it a try. And, he, and then she got up there and flopped. It didn't matter because it was about the spirit of the whole right. thing. And so when it would come my turn, I had my little uh, Glenn Campbell ovation guitar that my dad had got me, which I thought was the greatest guitar in the world. I still have it. And, right. uh, and I would get up and sing uh, gospel songs of the day. And uh, and uh, some and, and strangely, that's when I got, uh, I was singing for the Lord, but I was getting noticed by the girls. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so praise the lord you know and uh and i remember uh, the the ladies uh most of the ladies wore pantyhose back in the day and when they would walk down the aisle to that you know they had altar service where you at the end of the preaching you go down and you kneel and everybody pray together and right. i could just remember the the sounds of these heavy women and when their pantyhose would be swishing together when they'd walk it'd be like Right. <laughs> and so I have so many pictures in my head of that time. But yeah, that Brother John Harris and going to those singings was where I really got the fever to want to do it. It just I just felt like I, I this is what I want to do. You know. You know the, the, the you, you mentioned something earlier, like now you have to audition to sing in church. Is it mm. is it become competitive like that? Absolutely. I went I have uh, uh, that's the kind of church I grew up in. But now, uh, and I'm not criticizing; I'm just describing. Is now when you go to church, it's so scripted. I mean, when the when the singer gets through singing, 
boom, the, the light goes on the preacher and it's just like, it's, it's overwhelming. It's, I, if they're sincere, I don't, I'm not to say they're sincere if they're not, they seem to be sincere, but it's just, uh, it's just a little too tight for me. And all the singers and the musicians, they're like studio players. And right. Joe Blow and Joe Blow, who's got a guitar under his bed at home, uh, he's got an old uh, hummingbird that's like a brand new one. He wants to come up there and sing "I'll Fly Away" by himself. That ain't gonna happen. Right, not gonna happen, man. This is the way it is. I um, my production company, who we work with, um, uh, um, SES and SET, SES, SES, you know, SES being the sound and lighting uh, side of it. Um, they do a lot of big church gigs. Yeah. And I was unfamiliar. I grew up Roman Catholic, um, and we would go to St. Mary's Church on, on uh, uh, every Sunday, and, and th there would be a pipe organ. And maybe on a special occasion, there'd be some singers singing along or, or yeah. be a single voice. But these, they, they, they were part of a church group of singers. And I was not familiar with the with the what they call the mega church, and and my production company guys were, were describing like these these they sound like gigs to me mm. that that best could be described as church meets Pink Floyd, Absolutely. meaning they have yeah. they they have millions of dollars of production into these things. Do you think some of the message goes away when it becomes that I don't want to say slick, but that 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 refined and that showbiz. Yeah, I do. Like I said, I'm, I'm no judge of anybody, but a lot of times I went recently coincidentally to a couple mega churches and it felt like I was watching uh, the voice when they was up there singing, or it felt like I was watching American Idol because the singers were just like, they were over singing and, you know, putting as many licks, vocal licks as they could. And, and, and when they would hit a high note, the crowd would like, give them a, a standing ovation, but it was like, I felt like they were glorifying themselves more than they were glorifying the name of God. It's just right. what my, that was my perception of it. I could be wrong though. Well, you know, it, it, it is, it's like it, some of the greatest music, some of the greatest sentiments were delivered by, you know, very humble individuals who just sang their song and, you know, you go back and, and they, you know, it's like, I remember in the eighties, they would talk about like, well, you know, Robert Johnson's guitar was out of tune. It's like, nobody cares. Yeah. These, this is, this is, this is fantastic cultural music. This is Americana. Yeah. This is blues. This is, this is yeah. the history of black people in, in, in song. And, you know, it, I think you can marginalize yourself a lot if, if it becomes too slick. Um, when, when did you start writing songs? Did you start writing songs right off the bat or did you, did you wait and, you know, later until, you know, you, you started making a career of it? Well, I got, and it all started when I got in the eighth grade talent show at school and I'd never had written a song. And so I learned Lionel Richie's Three Times a Lady. Remember that song? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah it was a good song. And I sang that, and I and it was a love song, and it went over real good. And I won this sh little rinky-dink talent show or whatever. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to write songs about girls. And I, so I started writing these crappy songs. One of them, I, none of them were any good, but I started uh, writing songs, and uh, and they were just terrible. And then I met a guy, I met a guy named Billy Maddox, mm -hmm. who who at the time was a very successful country hit songwriter 
The, right. one, he wrote, the one he wrote that was the most known was a, a Hank Jr. song called If Heaven Ain't a Lot Like Dixie. Remember that right. one? Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, and he wrote a bunch of other top tens. Well, anyway, my this is crazy, but my cousin, Stan Thorne, who at the time was playing with Parliament and the Funkadelics. Came, <laughs> wow. Word of God. He was playing with Parliament and the Funkadelics. He was like, he came to our family Christmas. And he looked different. He was a musician, you know, and and, and he he said, he said, Paul, play me some of them songs you wrote. And I and so I went, I was real nervous and I played him these songs and he knew my songs weren't good, but he saw that I had something. And right. so he goes, I want you to meet somebody. And this guy that writes them country songs was the guy he was talking about. So right. he, introduced, he introduced me to Billy Maddox when I was 17 years old. Wow. And, and me and Billy started getting together two nights a week. And he started teaching me how to craft a song. And we did this for 12 years wow. while, while I was working in a furniture factory slash I was a professional boxer at one time mm -hmm. and slash I was a preacher's kid and all this kind of stuff. But uh, that's where I really learned how to write songs. And, and my songs, even though they're not really country songs, they're structured like a country song. There's a verse, there's a chorus. If it needs a bridge to tie it together, we'll make that up too. But uh, I had I had a great mentor. I really mentor is a songwriter, and you know he's my manager. Joe, Joe, Bill, and I. I'm I'm 56 right now. Bill and I have been working as a team together since I was 17 years old, and we have a handshake. We have a handshake agreement. Everything I ever dime I've ever made, I wouldn't do this for anybody, but he earned it. He and I split every penny I made. It's very it's 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 a very similar story to my manager and I. I he's we got together when I was 14. I'll be 44 in May. He's 54, and we've been together 30 years. And and it's a handshake agreement. Yep. And it's because you know you find lucky you're the few because we all know we've been in the business a long time. How many people you know has had the same manager now? You what you you're. 37 years going on 40 years you know what i mean it's 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 oh. 39 years and and it, it's it's an unheard of story most people switch management and booking agencies like you know like they switch hats you know what yep. i mean and, and yep. it's it's that's a great it's a testament to how how the deep the bond goes between oh people. yeah you know and and when we were writing these songs for 12 years we we built up a pretty big catalog of songs and like anybody that was trying to get noticed, we were sending out cassette tapes to just whoever we thought might have some way of, of getting it to a broader audience. Right. And one of these cassettes got in the hands of Miles Copeland, who was the manager of Sting and the Police. All right. Yeah. I swear to God, I was playing in a pizza restaurant. I was playing two nights a week in this pizza restaurant in the corner of my acoustic guitar. And one night, Miles Copeland came into this pizza restaurant. He literally came down and, and he was, I noticed he, he looked, he had a suit on, he was different and everything. And, uh, and anyway, I, when I took a break, he approached me and he said, Hey man, he goes, I got your cassette and, uh, and, uh, I really like your catalog of songs. And he goes, I'm interested in giving you a, a, a publishing deal and a record deal. And right. so, so boom, just like that, I I, I, kept, I was able to, I quit the factory. They gave me money and everything. And and uh, as a preacher's kid, in the Pentecostal faith, you weren't allowed, I was never allowed to go to any kind of secular concert. It was against our religion. Right. So, so the first time I ever attended a concert in my life was when I opened up for staying in Nashville. They had a, 
yeah and i went out there i went out there and with i had no band it was just me and my acoustic guitar and it was like thirteen thousand people out there to ready to see sting and strangely i wasn't nervous because i had accidentally been prepared because i've been playing in front of congregations all my life right. some saturday night singing you know what i'm saying it was just right. a bigger crowd and so right. I, went out, I went out there just just me and my guitar and i I don't, you know, when you kill, right? Yeah. yeah. It, killed, it killed, it killed. And then this is, this is where it gets really interesting. I did a whole bunch of shows with Sting and then Miles calls me and he goes, Hey, listen, man. He goes, um, you know, who Jeff Beck is. And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, Jeff heard about you. And he, and, and he says, uh, he wants you to go on tour with him as his opening act. So I went on this long tour opening up for Jeff Beck. Wow. And it was, you know, it was really weird because there wasn't many females in the audience at uh, <laughs> at the Jeff Beck show. I, and, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. And yeah. uh, when I went out there, it was just, when I went out there, they these people just looked at me and they were like crossing their arms like, oh, okay, what's this going to be? And right. then I just, I just went out there and I, I was, I said, look, y'all, I ain't Jeff Beck, but I hope you enjoy what I do. And they did. And I wound up getting this long tour with Jeff Beck, which followed into a long tour with Mark Knopfler. It was just a word of mouth thing. And even though the people that were coming to these concerts didn't come to see me, if I came back to that same city six months later, some of them people remembered me. Some right. of them did, not all of them, but some of them did. And that's that, that was really the foundation of how I built the following. And, and, you know, and you know, it's like when I, when I've, Things like being on your cruise, you know, there's, there, I've got new fans because of that. There, because yeah. a lot, a lot of people on that cruise didn't, don't know me from Adam, but and they do now. Right. And you know, that, by the way, the cruise was awesome, man. It, it's a fun, it's a fun thing. You know, it's yeah. an interesting point you make because, because a lot of, a lot of artists could, could use, could use that advice that you just gave. And when you were singing in church, you were singing to an audience that was not particularly there to see you. They were there to give praise to God. Right. And the fact that you were there and, and, and singing in church, that was a bonus. And right. they discovered not only, you know, they discovered you. And, and, and it's the same thing when you, you know, because we used to go out there all the time in front of Peter Frampton's audience, George Theragun's audience, Bad Company's yeah. audience. Yeah. B.B. King's audience. And they're like, we want to hear the thrill is gone, not you. Right. And, if you just kind of, if you understand that agreement going in and you try to win as many fans as you can in mm -hmm. a truncated amount of time, you know, you're, you, like you said, next time you go back to, uh, you know, Dayton, Ohio, you're, you, you got a couple hundred people that saw you at the B.B. King show that, that, that would never have come out to see you otherwise or have taken you years to, to build. So it was, those are very important gigs to take and, and, and know how to flourish in. You know, I, I, I mostly, you know, do my own shows. Uh, I'm, I'm not as big an artist as you are, but I, I have a, a good following. And uh, but I'll still open up for somebody if it makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, this I, I'm really proud of my. Oh, 
I'm really proud of my bobblehead. I got two of them, actually. I got somehow or another, I wound up with two of them. I got this one in a box because it'll be worth more in a box someday, 100 years from now. Keep it mint in the box, yes. That's, that's... <laughs> and I got another one on display in my shed down there. Well, thank you for doing it. You know, and, and like I said, I, I've been a, you know, I've been a real, I've been a huge fan of yours. And we actually met 20 years ago at a festival in Sonoma. They would do the Sonoma Blues Festival. You were, you were playing there and we met briefly and, and, I just remember being so taken by your delivery. My question is, is when did you know you had that thing? Because oh there's, there's, there's a, you know, there's a lot of singer songwriters, but when I hear Paul Thorne sing a song that he wrote, there's something about the lyrics, the melody, the way that the, that the song is put together that just, it doesn't hit me here. It hits me here. When did you realize that you had that? It's not, I don't. I hate calling it a knack, but but it's it's that 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 proclivity to 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 being able to reach people emotionally through song. Uh, well, I think the answer for that is, uh, you know, my dad being a minister, part of his thing was to uh, to uh, you know tell you about the Lord and everything. But he was also an entertainer. Right. Pre- so uh, and and when he would preach. He, he, everything led back to something that meant something, right? And there, and there was always a positive way out. They may, he might talk talk about trouble or whatever, but at the end he'll give you a way out. I like, yeah. and that's what to, to, that's what I try to put in every song I have is some sort of way you, you can redeem yourself. I don't mm-hmm. want to. I don't want to. If I say I've got the blues, I want to put someone there, but I won't have them tomorrow. Right. You know I, mean? I don't want yeah. to be all down in the gutter. I, Everything I write, I try to put. I like. I try to give everybody a little light that they can look at somewhere in it. And I got that from watching preachers. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, because I, a really good preacher, that's what they do. They, right. give, they 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 tell you about some bad things, but they give you a nice. Uh, they give you. They always give you a way out. They always right. give you a way out. And so that's. I think that came a lot for me from watching preachers growing up. I got to I got to work early in my career a lot before he retired with a, a song a songwriter named Will Jennings, and Will Will wrote he always had a positive message in his songs. He 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 wrote the song like Up Where We Belong for you know uh, uh, you know Joe Cocker covered it and 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 um, you know uh, he wrote some big hits for Steve Winwood you know you know uh, you know Higher Love and and yeah. you know, and, and 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 when I knew Will was out of the business. Um, is he goes, yeah, I got a call from a friend of mine named James Horner. Um, and, uh, he wants me to write lyrics to this song and it's going to be in a movie about a boat. Well, that song turned out to be my heart will go on by Celine Dion. It's like the biggest selling single of all time. And I knew he was retiring. He goes, I bought a house in Santa Barbara. I'm out. Oh, that's and, amazing. But it's that positive message. Like you say, it's, 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 it's always, you know, and even in like songs like "The Thrill Is Gone," there's always there's always a verse at the end that says, you know, you know, it's you know, you know, now that it's all over, all I can do is wish you well. Which you and there you, there you go. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's exactly right. what I'm talking about. Yep, yep. So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, your songs. There's a song that I wish I wrote called "Temper Temporarily Forever Mine." Yeah. And it's just a fantastic song. And I think everybody's been there in their life. But and I think every songwriter is trying, 
has tried to write that song and put it in that that particular way. But you did it, and and it's like it's a, a fantastic tune. Like like, what was the story behind that song? I know it, it goes back a few years. So oh yeah, it's it's one of my earlier songs. But I lived in a when I left home at eighteen, I bought a trailer. It, the trailer cost six thousand dollars. My payments were three hundred twenty-seven dollars a month while I was right. working in the factory. And uh, this good-looking girl moved in with me, and we lived together for a long time. We never married, but uh, uh, eventually she uh, and I broke up, and uh, and uh, she's the one that broke up with me. So I was really crushed, and I so I didn't want to live in the trailer anymore because there's too many memories in it. So I left and moved to another place, and then one night. I drove by that old trailer was laying, we lived in, and I just sat there and looked at that trailer and all these memories just flooded in my head about how the, about the good times that we had. And so I just sat there and just wrote that song right there in the, in the, in the, the electricity was off and it was just an old trailer there. The grass was grown up, you know? Right. Yeah. It's the opening line said the, the, the door on the mailbox is rusty shut, you yeah. know? It was just, it was dilapidated, but it was just, I was reliving something that I didn't have anymore. You know, it's, it ain't no subject that hadn't been touched on, but I guess yeah. I, I, I just, uh, temporarily forever mind. It's just, that says it all. It does say, it say it all. And I, I went through something similar in 2008, 2009. And, and that was the song that to me articulated because it's that it's that burning in the pit of your stomach that you don't know why it's there. It's just there, yeah. and it comes. It's almost it's grief. It's 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 really coping with grief over yeah. something lost, and and it's just one of those one of those you know um, great tunes and 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 you know it's just one of my one of the songs I wish I wrote. But, well, but you, you're the only person that you that could have written that because it's so such a personal thing. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I get I get a lot of comments. You know, any song I've ever written that resonated with people, it caught it came with pain. Mm -hmm. You know, I can I can sit down and write a song every day, but I can't write temporarily for forever mine every day again. Yeah. Right. I can I had to live that. You know. You know. It's like, you know, I I I, I recorded a record in January in Memphis, and uh, I wrote a song called "It's Never Too Late to Call." And uh, the inspiration for that, and it, to me, it's 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 one of my better songs. And but it came with a heavy price because my sister, who passed away, Deborah, she was a night owl. And when it was late at night, and I was on the road, and I was wired, and I had nobody to talk to, I could call her, and right. we would, and we would talk for a long time. And she uh, she lit she would always say she would say, "Remember, I love you, and it's never too late to call." And that right. literally is what the song says. And right. so. But it, once again, it came with a heavy price, you know. And, uh, and how important do you think it is, you know, well, I think you've already answered, but, but it's like how important is it, you know, because I know a lot of people believe it, it's you have to suffer for the art, the great art, you know, and, and it comes from this place of, of pain and suffering. Um, yeah. How important is it to, to be able to cope with that and then move on, but still be a songwriter and tap into it, even though life could be going great. You know, it's, 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 do you write little things down as they come to you and then get back to them at a later date going, you try to tap into that emotion? Oh yeah. Every day I'm, I have a piece of paper in my pocket all the time and, and I'm, I'm, I'm jotting down uh, things that, that touch me or things might be something you say or somebody heard some, 
heard a lady say in Walmart or something was standing next to me. Uh, I'm not sure I really understood your question, but but I'm, I'm constantly writing down things that's going on around me. I may not have understood your question right. But I'm just saying, like, like you know, if you write something down a year ago and you never get to it and then you go, you, you know, and maybe you were in a bad place at some point a year ago, but now you're in a good place. Is it is it easier or hard to get back emotionally to write that song that you wrote a year ago that you never got to? Uh, well, when I'm when I'm writing a, a, a song that's based on pain, it seems like I have to suffer and get through the pain for a while before I can write anything. Right. Because I'm, I'm moping around, you know. I, <laughs> I got the blues, you know, the real blues. And, right. Uh, and uh, so I don't want to write anything when I'm hurting. I have to get a little bit past it, you know, a little bit past it. Every woman I've ever been with that I'm not with anymore, it's took me about – it's about, it takes me about two years to get fully recovered. <laughs> right. <laughs> then, oh my God, I'm going to let you have it now, honey. You know? Yeah. 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 And then, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I, like, I want to ask you, um, there's a line from one of your songs. Um, I believe it's even heroes die that, um, Johnny Cash couldn't get arrested today. Am I correct? Well, that's, no, that's a one called mediocrity is king. Okay. I'm getting the two. Confused. Yeah. 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 Okay. Mediocrity is king. I think once again, as a songwriter, you have this knack to say it all with a line. That to me says it all about the kind of culture we are, the kind of culture we're in as far as music and, and everything is now a singing contest that yeah. Johnny Cash himself entered or Tom Waits or Bob Dylan in his prime would, would be lucky to place in the top 100. Yeah, you probably you wouldn't even get you. They wouldn't even have a sit a meeting with you. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mediocrity is king. You know, it's just that's the way it is. You know. And you know, unfortunately, I think we're 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 told that you have to assimilate into a certain box if you want to be country. You have to do. You have to be in this box if you want to do blues. You have to be in this box or Americana. You know, you've never subscribed to that. You just write from the heart and, and you're Paul Thorne. Um, what advice would you give a kid, a 17-year-old Paul Thorne right now, who, uh, who, hasn't, who hasn't met, you know, Billy Maddox? Well, uh, this might, there's a lot of things I could say, but I would say use the word we as much as you can uh, instead of I. Right. If you if you write something that says we, then it's all inclusive. If you say I, 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 it could be that, but I just in my songs, I try to use the word we more than I, you know, right. because and then that way we're all what I'm singing about, like temporarily forever mine or whatever. Well, that one doesn't have we in it, but that's a whole different thing. But I try to use the word we more than the word I. That's what I tell them. That's what I tell them. Like, you can't tell them everything. Just you just tell them one thing. I said, just try to use the word "we" more than "I." Right. Do you? Um, what's some of your favorite new music that's coming out these days? Do you have anybody on your radar going that this this person's got got it going on? Oh man, you you you're gonna slap me in the face for saying this, but I actually I'm not. I actually like uh, it, I like Billie Eilish. Okay. You can you can identify her, huh? 
you can identify her within two two bars. You know. Well, I mean, I mean, it's not what we do, but for, for what it is, it's I like it. You know, it's it, I get why it's popular, and right. uh, and uh, there's a lot of things, man. That's a hard question. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of things that. Well, it's a little dated now, but when I heard uh, the Alabama Shakes come out with that song, Hold On, mm -hmm. when I heard that song, I said, that's a hit. Right. Right. That's she's it. really good. She, yeah. yeah. She's Brittany Howard, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I tell you, I t it ain't new, but you know what I've been listening to a lot here lately? Once again, it ain't what we do. I've been listening to Don Williams. Oh, I love Don Williams. Man. I mean, you talk about great records. Oh my God! If you listen to uh, Tulsa Time, the, the the his version, everybody in that band, it's like it's like country ACDC. Everybody's just doing one little thing, and then right. they ain't doing nothing else. And right. there's so much, and there's so much dead air. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And all his songs is like that. And uh, that's uh that's the that's the record I've been listening to a lot here lately. Is, is I've been listening to a lot of Don Williams. I'm sadly, sadly, I don't, and I only know about Billy Eilish because I hear my daughter playing it. Right. There's some of it I like. I don't, I don't, I don't have any of her records, but I, I do think it's good for what it is. But um, I listen to a lot of the classics, man. Yeah, me too. I just got, you know? I just got back into Don Nix. Like Don Nix is best known for writing the song "Going Down" that Freddie mm -hmm. King covered, Jeff Beck covered, and it's a pretty simple lyric. I, yeah. You know, you don't need a teleprompter to sing it. Yeah. And and um, but his catalog is really deep, you know, and he he was a he was a one of those troubadour kind of yeah. writers, you know, I'm not um, too familiar with him, to be honest. Yeah, it, it, he's he was he's kind of the he's the Don Williams that never got as popular. It didn't okay. have Tulsa time, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he got covered a few times by like Freddie King. And, you know, and, and that was kind of like and that was it. He's he's known for one song. Yeah. Um. What do you what do you think um, the state of not that I'm putting you in the category what what's your thoughts on the state of country music these days? Um, well, remember that song that came out? There was a big hit. It's called Cruise. Maybe mm -hmm. more move and wind or that. Well, that song it seemed like it was so big that they said, okay, let's keep re let's keep recreating this one little loop. And let's keep it. Let's just keep going. And they just kind of kept going with that. And it's so that so, and and the records to me they don't sound good. They're just so sizzly sounding. You know what right. I mean? Right. And uh, and there's very and they've all got that that same beat and uh and the and the subject matter. You know I, I I I there's nothing wrong with writing a song about drinking beer and sitting by the fire, but it's like every song is saying the same right. thing. Right. But now there's there there is you'll hear a good one though, like in any genre. There's always been good and bad music. Uh, but when you hear a bunch of bad ones, there'll be a good one in there stuck in the middle somewhere. Like yeah. Miranda Miranda Lambert had a song called uh, "The House That Built Me." Have mm -hmm. you heard that? Yeah. Now to me, that's a great song. It's great a real song. it's a real song, and it's and it's going to stand the test of time. And twenty years from now, somebody will recut it probably because it's a classic standard. To me. Right. Yeah. 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 I find that it somehow country music has gone from writing about life stories to lifestyles. That's right. That's exactly right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's and and like you're saying, it's like 
hey, listen, pickup truck, a girl in short, you know, you know, short jeans, cut off, beer. I'm all about it. Yeah. You know, but, but it loses that connection. It it, it seems, and, and everybody's going for that anthemic type of, you know, and, and they're all going for radio, you know. But, but I'll tell you this, you know, I don't care much for it, but my daughter, I have a 17-year-old daughter. They absolutely love it. They right. love it. You know, I played my, I tried to play my daughter uh, an ACDC song. The other, I said, I said, now I'm going to turn you on to something you're going to really like. Right. And so I put on, I put on How Would Hell. And you know, yeah. you know what she said? She said, the intro's too long. That guy's, his voice sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> she actually hated it. So really? you, know, you can't, you know, to, if you don't understand, don't try to explain it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think also too, it's like, you know, as as we we get older, and you know, we grew up. We didn't have a we didn't have a device. We didn't have a, a, a cell phone and and things. And and our attention spans over time have gotten less and less and less. So yeah. so like you know, modern music, whether it be pop or I mean, that hook is coming at you yeah. within eight bars. That's right. You know, this is the thing I I, I left out. Uh, about the modern country lack of melody mm-hmm. right there's no melody the 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 verse they go the, the verse will be and the chorus right. will be yeah right <laughs> you just wrote you just, you just wrote the feel good hit of the summer you didn't even know it yeah yeah i got a some guy well some guy called me i hadn't called him back yet i'm gonna call him back there's some guy i can't think of his name uh, he's he's had two number ones in the last year. He's a country songwriter, and he uh, he's kind of trying. He wants to write a song with me, and uh, so I'm, I'm gonna get back with him, and uh, I'm gonna talk with him. But the things he had number ones with are the weather. You know, I don't know. I don't know what I could contribute to that. Right, exactly. I could go. Right. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I've written, I've been in a couple of those writing sessions and, and, you know, like, they're like, Hey, you know, like, you know, got some ideas started. Cause you know, when you do a collaboration, you, 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 you know, it's like going to a dinner party, you bring a bottle of wine or a cold appetizer, you get something started and then, you know, oh, yeah. and I've been in a couple of these writing sessions, like, you're like, and they, they come at you with like, like very modern sounding countries. I'm like, I'm, I'm a blues rock guy. I can't cut this with a straight face. We have, we have to, we have to siphon through a lot to, to just, you know. Oh, because yeah. I'm not a radio artist, right. you know. I'm, I don't go for radio. Yeah, it's that was never been. <laughs> you know, if you, if you get it, it'd be great, though. Hundred percent, but it's yeah, got to be yeah. on your terms. Right, right. Oh, I left out one thing. When a Miles went uh, on going backwards, when Miles Copeland, you know, helped me get out of the factory and everything. Uh, before I went on the, well, no, it was after I got done touring with Sting. He wanted, he invited me to go to France. Mm-hmm. They were having they were having a songwriter retreat over there right. in this castle. It was a real right. castle that Miles. Do you know about this castle? Yeah, yeah. They they I think they up until well the pandemic. I think they they do it every year. And it's yeah, a big, went, big deal. Well, anyway, the first time I ever went, the first time I ever went, it was in this castle. We're all staying together, and the, and the the order of the day is everybody gets up, has a breakfast, and there's all these professional writers there. That some of them you know, some of them you don't, but they're all really good at what they do. And so after breakfast, they would post on a chalkboard who you was going to write with that day. Right. 
and you'd go and the or and the event was you you'd write a song in one day and then that evening you would go record it all of it all at right. once and the very first person i wrote with other than billy the one that i grew up with i swear yeah. to god i go to the chalkboard and it says paul thorne and carol king no pressure where god and so I'm going to write with Carol King. So anyway, I got to the writing room. I got there by myself and I was obviously nervous and afraid I was going to be revealed as a fraud. Right. And, so, <laughs> and so anyway, I, I sat down and I just started playing this little riff and I was, cause I was so afraid I wasn't going to be able to bring anything, you know, mm-hmm. that's every writer's fear. That's always my fear when I write with somebody that I ain't going to be able to bring nothing. And, uh, but anyway, I started playing this little lick. And I'm just nervous, and, and I heard a boy. I heard her voice. She said, "What's that?" And I right. said, "Oh, I said it's just a little something I was working with." And sh- she went. She didn't say anything. She just went over to the piano and she started playing a line with my line, and right. we just boom. We wrote a song, man. We wrote a song, and then I went up around. I wound up writing three or four songs with her, and um, so I, I said that to also say uh, I've had some tremendous mentors. Tremendous. Yeah. I think it's a good point for people to know that that even the great songwriters that we all revere and have had just written standard after standard after standard, everyone writes a bad song in their life. You, no, no, nobody gets out without writing some one that uh just don't I don't want to play that for you. Because you have you have to go through that process. I'd say I write more bad ones than good ones, but I just don't play the bad ones. I got a sense enough. I got I got sense enough to know it's bad. <laughs> yeah. What's the song that you wrote that you were like, this is gonna define my career? And then your your audience was like, oh, it's okay. And then what's the song that you wrote that you were almost trepidatious about putting on a record because you didn't think it was gonna make the cut that turned out to be one of you things, one of the songs you can't get out of, of your gigs without playing? I, me, I did not want to record temporarily forever mine. Really? No, I didn't. And then my partner Billy, he didn't think it was a good idea either. We yeah. we didn't think we didn't think much of it to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah, and um, I I can't I can't really. Rem- I wrote a song called, well, Bill and I wrote a song called Rose City, and it's 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 awful. Mm-hmm. And we sang, and uh, when we sang it a few times, and we sang it. I, Billy actually liked it. Me and him quarreled over this. Right. He liked the song, and I just didn't like it. It's, and uh, I sang it, and it, it's one of them kind of songs where I bl- I sing real raspy, and I blow out every, everything, and those blaring guitars and everything. Right. But I just I didn't like it, and as I sang it a few times, and I would actually. I would actually get a sweat on my face when I would start singing it because I knew it was bad. And and right. eventually one night after I sang it, I sang it three or four times and I told Billy, I said, we're not, I'm not singing this song again. And he right. didn't understand, but it, you know, uh, that's why you never heard Rosie. <laughs> How did it go over live? Did, did, the, did the people like it? I don't think they did, man. I don't think they did because it was, it was the words were all fluff. And I've I've tried to I've set a pretty high standard on my songwriting. Right. I, I, I want my songs to be something that maybe Don Williams would sing if I can. 
Absolutely, and, and your audience expects that from you. They you expect know I mean? that. Yeah, if I get up there and go, dun, 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 they're going to say, boo. <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, this is my next one. Um, what do you do on Paul Thorne Day, March 27th? Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> that's, well, that's crazy, man. Uh, I got, a, in, I got a, uh, an invitation to come to the state capitol and they gave me an award for my contribution to the arts. And, uh, and anyway, I went down to the, to the Capitol and, uh, um, they, you know, they gave me this big presentation and everything. And then somebody, a local friend of mine built this guitar mm-hmm. and it was shaped like Mississippi. And he was just going to give it to me as a gift, you know, right. and it was very nice. And it was, uh, it had it was just a blank piece of wood paint painted like Mississippi. And, and you know, and you know, usually when you get something like that, it's something you can hang on your wall and yeah. say, This is a great memory. And so, but anyway, come to find out this really good luthier here in Tupelo built it, and it was a really, really good guitar. And to the point where um I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play this guitar. And right. so I started and I started playing it. And it had no paint on it or nothing, and some they were encouraging me to paint something on it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, and they was and they were doing the cliche stuff about you know go something about the crossroads or what all that kind of right, stuff, right. which yeah. is kind of cliche and worn out. So I said, what should I paint on this guitar that would be really meaningful? And I said, I'm what if I draw a picture of my fans on the guitar? And I, I'm, I'm can I show it to you? Yeah, yeah, I would love to see it. Okay, okay. Can you see yeah. See those people on there? Yeah. It's cartoon. It's like if I'm on stage, that's what I see. That's great. I love yeah. that. And so anyway, and so um, I'm not trying to sell anything here. I'm just telling you what really happened. Okay. Right. But anyway, so uh, it turned out to be this really good guitar. And, you know, Somebody like you that's got a big name could could put out a guitar and say, this is the joke. I don't even know if you have or not. But, I but, do, yeah. Okay, but anyway, you could put out a guitar and you could you could either make it a really great guitar or you could make it just an average guitar that Joe right. Blow could afford, right? right. Yeah. But uh, this this guitar, is it, it's, it's a really, really high-end guitar the way it's all put together. And so what we did, instead of making a 1,000 of them, we made uh, 25. Okay. And, Nice. We made like 25 of them, and they're all numbered, and they're all blah blah blah. And but anyway, we 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 just did we put that out, and uh, we have 20. We had like 25 of them, and I think there's like 12 left. And so, okay. you know, where, yeah. Where, where can the folks buy them? Anybody that's interested interested in one of these uh, Mississippi guitars, they just go to uh, paulthorn.com, and they'll put it straight on your front porch. That's right, in a box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before we wrap up, man, I, I, I would be remiss in my duties, and I, I'm, a, I'm a crappy journalist, I know, but that's not what I do for a living, but uh, I would be remiss in my duties not to ask you about your boxing career. Oh. You were you were Mid-South Middleweight Champion. Yeah, I was. Uh, Mid-South Middleweight Champion, that was uh, that the equivalent of being the champion of three states. Okay. okay. I was that, and, and I was uh, number 29 in the world at, at my – the best I was, and I had uh, Wikipedia is not right. My my real record is four. I had fourteen uh, wins and four losses, mm-hmm. and uh, that was my pro. Uh, right. I had a bunch of amateur fights too, but the highlight of my career was in '88. I uh, 
I got to fight on television against uh, Roberto Duran. Have you heard of him? Oh, yeah. Wow. Did you know that? I did not know that about you. Yeah, I fought, I, I, Roberto I, I, Duran. Yeah, I fought Roberto Duran. You can go on YouTube and watch it. But uh, what what uh, what happened in the fight is uh, uh, I, I, I fought him good for like six rounds. I hung in there with him really good. But at the end of the sixth round, had a horrific cut on my lip. My lip was split like you hit it with hit it with a razor blade, and it was I was bleeding so much that between the sixth and the seventh round they stopped the fight. Uh, but I was in the fight. Uh, he knocked me down in the second round, and when he knocked me down, it's just like all my fear went away because he hit me with a clean punch, but it didn't really hurt me because when you watch the film, the second my butt hits the ground, I jumped right back up. Right. And, and, uh, and uh, I, I gave it a good shot. And I, but, you know, there is a difference between being good at something and being great at something. You know, you could go to college and be the greatest football player of all time. But if you go in the pros and, and – there's a there's a certain elite level like Roberto Duran, Mike Tyson, you know, yeah. Floyd Mayweather. They have a gift, just like Tiger Woods does, hitting that golf ball. Right. And uh, and so he took me to school, man. And uh, the thing that he was most known for was his punching power. They called him the Hands of Stone. But I fought a lot of guys that hit hard. But what made him special and what his gift was, he was incredibly hard to hit. His his ability to move and make you miss it was like a it was like a magic show, and so uh, you know it, I lost, but I now I got some punches in. I busted his eye. I mm -hmm. cut his eye. I cut. I literally busted his eye open, and we we literally rode to the hospital in the same ambulance. He was laying on one side, and I was laying on the other side, and, uh, <laughs> and it, I mean. I mean, sometimes I feel like um, the Americana Forrest Gump, you know? <laughs> <laughs> because I, I've just been on the, I've been in these little scenarios, you know, right. everything, everything from uh, Saturday Night Singing to opening for Sting, for Jeff Beck, you know, talking to you. I mean, writing, writing a song with Carol King in a castle. Get, uh, giving a good effort against Roberto Duran. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I when I fought Duran, I heard him one time. There was one time my best punch was a left hook, and I clipped him with a left hook, and I and it spun his head like a like a Bonamassa bobblehead. <laughs> and, and then, but but he was he was experienced, and when I when I clipped him one, he did what any smart fighter did to clear his head. He hugged me. And pull me in so he could clear his head for a minute. See what I'm saying? That's right. a trick. that's a trick that doctor boxers do. But after that, I couldn't. That was the only time I, I really landed my good shot. Rest of the time, he was making me miss, man. And when you're in a boxing match and you can't hit your opponent, it's extremely hard to win. It's very hard to win when you're not scoring points, right? <laughs> when you're not hit, when you can't hit them, yeah. I have a question about boxing because now we live in a world of of boxing. And I've always had the most respect for for boxers, and 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 I was I'm a boxing fan, and and the boxers that I've talked to, and they always say that it's you don't know what the longest three minutes of your life is until round one, you know, and it's yeah. like it, it's. Yeah. What do you what are your thoughts about Ultimate Fighting? 
and 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 you know like then there's a whole bunch of like YouTube boxers, but it seems like when the Ultimate Fighting and the 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 online boxing stars get into the ring with somebody who knows what's going on, a real boxer, that that their day doesn't end well. You know, it's, well, why do you think that is? A boxer, boxers are the best at fighting with their fists. Mm -hmm. If if you if the rules is you just use your fists. The boxer is going to win every time. But if you put a boxer in there with a mixed martial artist and they can both do whatever they do, the mixed martial artist is going to kick the boxer's ass every time, right. every time. Because because a boxer, when a, when a boxer's doing his thing, the other guy's out there in front of him. But when a guy shoots in and grabs you at the waist and jumps on top of you and starts pounding on you and, and they know how to fight on the ground, right? the boxer's helpless. The only, the only chance a boxer has is what they call a puncher's chance. If when the guy's shooting in, you can nail him, you might have a chance, but the chances are you ain't going to and you're going to go home with a broke arm. What's <laughs> 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 well, hard? They'll literally get your arm and bend it the wrong way. I've seen it's called an arm bar, and that's why that's why they have the the tap thing. If, right. if, if one of those guys get you down and he's he's fixing to snap your arm, they give you a chance to surrender. If you tap. Right. I've seen them not tap though and just get their arm bent back like a GI Joe that's broke. <laughs> <laughs> What's this is a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's harder, the music business or getting your arm busted by? A... Uh, well, or fighting uh, Roberto Duran. Well, I tell you the difference. I tell you the difference. Uh, when I was in boxing, I didn't have the confidence as a boxer that I do as a singer. When I when I would go to the ring, when I'd be walking to the ring, my heart would be pounding. I'd be nervous and scared. But when I walk to the stage, I don't have that same anxiety. Right. And any, anybody that's great at anything, whether it be football, basketball, boxing, or playing the guitar, uh, the, the tr or football player, or whatever, the truly great ones have one thing in common, the ability to relax under extreme pressure. Mm -hmm. And, man, and that's what, that's what Roberto Duran had in spades. Wow. I mean, he was so relaxed. I don't think it didn't. I don't think he even physically taxed himself uh, more than except for when I was hitting him. He was just so relaxed. It was like he was like butter, man. And right. I was. I didn't have. I didn't have it like he had it. He had the gift, you know. Well, yeah. it's it's that and the concept. I I'm I'm a firm believer in in the ten thousand hours. You walk up there. You you walk on whether you walk in a boxing ring. You walk on stage. You walk. You're giving a presentation, or if you're just whatever. Mm -hmm. If you've done something for ten thousand hours, you you can see things clearly and calmly, even if it's chaotic in your periphery, and and everything come becomes time compressed to where where it's like, okay, you know what, I got this. It's like you know, it's it's you know, I always say playing music with a band is a contact sport. It's it, it's, well, it's it's yeah. very intense. Well, when you're playing with BB King and you, how old were you when you played with him? Twelve. Okay. You got your ten thousand hours in. Mm -hmm. I got my ten thousand hours. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's why you're Joe Bonamassa because all that repetition. You've been in every scenario. You can. You've been in great scenarios. You've been in terrible scenarios, but you you know what to do based on your ten thousand hours.
Right. I, I had Albert Collins as a kid stare me down with his Telecaster and come at me as if I was one of his peers or one of one of his competitors. And I was 14, and he's like, and he's doing this, and he's playing his ass off. And I'm like, I don't know how to respond. But he 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 was teaching me a huge lesson that day. And it wasn't it wasn't that many people in front of the state. I mean, it was like a blues festival in upstate New York that was not well attended. He was going, you want to be up here with me? This is what it takes. And 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 I I saw him one one more time before he died, and I thanked him for that because you know what. I never, I never would have experienced that until somebody did it to me. The only reason he did that to you is because he saw something in you, mm-hmm. and he knew it, and he wanted, he wanted you to succeed, and so he put a little heat on you to make you wake up and get on your shit a little bit better. Absolutely, and, and <laughs> yeah. it's the best lesson I've ever learned on stage is getting your ass kicked, and then you go, okay, I'm going to shake it off, and I'm, now I'm going to, I'm going to do better in the in the future. You know, it's like it's it's. It's it's you could the parallels to everything. It's like you don't you don't you, nobody gets out without taking a few bruises. No man, uh, you know, and 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 we're I think uh, look at us now. We're we're blessed. You know, we're really I, that gets that word blessed gets thrown around a lot. But I really mean it when I say it. I'm ble- I'm blessed, man. We're, and you we're are very, too. We're very blessed and we're very lucky. And but we worked hard, and yeah. uh, there's a difference. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. we didn't win it in a singing contest. You know, that's so, so true. It's so true. I like your sign back there, by the way. It's uh, if I if I knew um, about this, this Skype, you can choose your background effect. If I knew that um, I could I could basically put, you know, I could I could be I can be in Paris right now with the with the, you know, with the background. I, I wouldn't have spent the money on this sign. But it, but yeah, it's Nerdville, Gotham, New that's York. An New awesome York. Sign. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Are you at your house? Where are you at? I'm in New York City. I'm at my apartment in New York okay. City. Okay. You're, you're, what, are you doing? what are you doing during the day? Well, I mean, what I do during the day is basically I've you know, been working a lot on the Jimmy Hall thing. That's finished. I'm starting a record um, uh, for my, my solo band that we're recording in New York. So I'm kind of camped out here yeah. writing, um, yeah. kind of getting in that headspace of, of just being here. And um, and you know just you know making sure the next bobblehead's up to my my high standards, you know. You have to be careful with them; they're they're fragile. There's there's a fine line between a cool bobblehead and losing your dignity. I mean, it's a razor's edge. It's good. I like it. I'm proud of mine. I got one. You gave me one a long time ago when I saw you in concert. Uh, right. It wasn't. It, it wasn't the bobblehead from the cruise. I've got another one of you just in your rock clothes right. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I'm, I and I have a shed. I have a shed in my house where I put a lot of collectibles in there. I've got you on the shelf in there. I'm, I'm honored, <laughs> Paul. Thank you for doing this, man. You're you're a superstar. I'm honored to call you a friend, and I just have the utmost respect for you and, and your outlook and and your and your songs and your singing and just the whole thing. I'm a, I'm a massive fan. I appreciate it. Back at you, man. And uh, when this is all said and done, maybe we'll be doing something together again. Let's let's hang out and and, and something in three dimensions. You know, I would so. love that. I would love that. And uh, best to you, man. That's all I can say. Thanks, Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Paul Thorne. Thank you for watching. This has been live from Nerdville, from New York City and Tupelo, Mississippi.